Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 34, 35 and 36 of Allegiant. So where we left off, everyone seemed to be really mad at Four for joining that rebellion. And then they all invited him to another rebellion. And Triss has been promoted by David to like future council member or some bull crap. And she's going to use that as like taking them down from within because she's really unhappy with the Bureau because she's found out that they're the ones that were perpetrating the use of serums in, in the experiments that were, that were behind the death serum or the mind control serum, some fucking serum. And also they've been lying. The government's been lying about wars not existing before people were genetically damaged. And they were like, what? Anyway, it's a convoluted mess. Let's just get into it. So chapter 34 is a Triss POV and she's getting ready to go out and visit the fringe with Amar. Remember Amar? I think just last week I was saying there's so many characters we were introduced to that have been dropped. And uh, Amar was one I also forgot. So Amar's there. He's the one that faked his death. Well, one of the ones that (laughs) faked their death. And he used to be the Dauntless instructor of four. Okay, so now he's working security for the Bureau. And Amar's like, yeah, the fringe isn't that safe. Let's get you in a bulletproof vest. So he puts her in a bulletproof vest and she's like, oh, I didn't expect you to be working security, Amar. And he's like, well, what did you think I'd be fucking doing? I'm a, I'm a security guard. That was my job in Dauntless. You think I'm just going to be wandering around the bureau directionless? And she was like, well, yeah, that's sort of what we've all been doing. He says that he and George are part of the security team. And whenever anyone wants to go to the fringe, he volunteers. So then George comes over and he's like, my ears are burning. You guys talking about me. And he puts his arm over Amar's shoulders and they grin at each other. And remember, I sort of was getting gay vibes from Amar or George. I was getting gay vibes from one of them. And okay, well, the gay vibes are persisting. Let's just say the gay rumors are persisting because two men holding each other's shoulders and grinning at each other. That's camp. Happy pride. But Tris says, George looks better than the last time I saw him. But grief leaves its mark on his expression, taking the crinkles out of the corners of his eyes when he smiles, taking the dimple from his cheek. What? She's always so extra with her descriptions, isn't she? Oh, grief just took out the crinkles out of his eyes. Well, there's the secret to anti-aging, folks. Have someone you love die and then bye-bye wrinkles. Who knew that that was the secret? And they also give Triss a gun because she's handy with a gun. They're like, yeah, uh, uh, these other bureau squares don't know how to use a gun, but you're from Dauntless, so please take a weapon. Even though her boyfriend was just a part of a conspiracy to overtake the bureau, they're very trusting with just a, a random person with a gun. So then she's heading for a truck. They're driving out of the compound and heading towards the fringe. And she's inspecting all the rubble that she's already seen before. And she's 
thinking about how everything's in ruin, how she doesn't really understand the world around her, blah, blah, fucking blah. And so she asks Amar, do you actually believe in all this genetic damage crap? And he was like, yeah, I do. He says, the way I see it, the earth has been around for a long, long time, longer than we can imagine. And before the purity war, no one had ever done this right. And he points at all the rubble around him. So no, they still haven't stopped to think like, oh, if everyone was genetically pure and there was no war ever and no conflict, why did we start manipulating genes in the first place? Can, can these characters be that stupid? Oh, I guess. And Amar says, anyway, if something like a war had happened in our history, I'm sure the Bureau would know about it. And even Triss is clocking him as naive. She's like, oh yeah, they wouldn't tell you, dum-dum. And she's like, this guy came from the city. He led a whole life that was a lie, being told false information from the controlling power. And, and he's still believing everything the Bureau says. She's like, this guy's dumb. So then they get close enough to the fringe that they stop the car and they go on foot. And she's like all nervous. She says, the fringe is where my mother retreated after witnessing a murder. It is where the Bureau found her and rescued her because they suspected her genetic code was sound. Now I will walk there to the place where in some ways it all began. What? If I had to find a pinpoint for where everything began, it'd be where your mum witnessed that murder back in her house. I don't think her mum was at the fringe all that long. My reading of the journal was she went to the fringe, fell in with a bad crowd, saw some things, left after three weeks when David then took her to the compound. I don't know. I feel like she's putting a lot more importance on the fringe than we are, or at least than I am. I don't think I care that much about the fringe. I thought it was going to be fun and exciting. And then we met Mary and Rafi, Mary, that generously framed woman and foresaw dead bodies getting pillaged and plundered. Uh, it wasn't as spectacular as I expected. So hopefully something will happen now that Triss is at the fringe. And she pretty much describes a shanty town. She says there's a lot of scrap metal and plastic tarps piled up next to one another. And then there's narrow aisles between them with people running around and milling about. And a kid sees them and he's like, ah, raid, raid. So the kid thinks that the Popo have come in to arrest them or to round them up for an orphanage, they say. But it seems like everyone else is ignoring this young boy. All the fringe dwellers are just like, shut up, kid. (laughs) And it sort of reminds me of um, pickpocket talk. Have you guys seen this? I don't know if you go on TikTok, but there's this one person. She just lives in Italy and she films pickpocketers and she screams out, attenzione, attenzione, pickpocket. And she calls for the police and she says, everyone, these people are pickpockets. And then you see the pickpocket people. They're, all, they're, they're not who you'd expect to be pickpockets, to be quite frank, but they're like, oh God, this bitch again. And so they like put a shawl over their heads and they scurry away. <laughs> anyway, this little boy screaming out, raid, raid, reminded me of the attenzione, pickpocket lady from TikTok. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. The girls who get it, get it. And if you don't, just search pickpocket talk. It's so fun. So Tris is looking at all of these people living in poverty and she thinks, huh. And she says to Amar, she says, do you ever help them? And he goes, nah. She says, we believe that the best way to help our world is to fix its genetic deficiencies. Feeding people is just putting a tiny bandage on a gaping wound. It might stop the bleeding for a while, but ultimately the wound would still be there. Uh, or you could feed them, Amar. Like, what, what the fuck logic is this? And Tris sort of gets on her high horse. She's like, ugh, 
How dare they? She shakes her head. She's like, that's ridiculous. She says, I'm beginning to understand why my mother joined abnegation when she was supposed to join Erudite. If she had really craved safety from Erudite's growing corruption, she could have gone to Amity or Candor, but she chose the faction where she could help the helpless and dedicated most of her life to making sure the factionless were provided for. They must have reminded her of this place, of the fringe. And again, her mum was in the fringe for like three fucking weeks. And also, I think we know she went to abnegation because she was going to shack up with the other guy who was going to abnegation. I don't know if there was a charitable reason for her going to abnegation. And she's acting like she's always been Mother Teresa. But remember the first few chapters of Divergent? She was in abnegation and she was like, ew, factionless people. And she walked past that like factionless guy and she was worried that he was going to like rob her and touch her. And she was like, oh, he's filthy and gross. Remember that? She was freaking out over the factionless. But now she's acting all high and mighty. Like she's the best abnegation that ever lived, even though she transferred to Dauntless, like lest we get into that again. But this has all moved her to tears. She's crying and she says, Ama, let's get back to the truck. But then gunshots. Everyone around them scatters and George is shouting out help. I don't know where George went to, but he, he went somewhere else. Because when you go into a dangerous fringe area where you've got to wear bulletproof vests, yeah, it makes sense to split up George. And then she says, as much automatic abnegation bred sympathy as I have for the people living in this place, I'm also afraid of them. So she's like, I gotta get out of the fuck out of here. She says, if they are like the factionless, then they are surely desperate like the factionless. And I am wary of desperate people. She's like, get me the hell out of Dodge. And Amar had run off already. He ditched her. She lost track of him. But then a hand closes around her arm and drags her backwards into one of the little like tarp covered shanty rooms. And some small thin woman with a grubby face is like, oh, you don't want to be out there. They'll lash out at anyone, no matter how young she is. So this woman's rescued Triss by pulling her into her space. And she's like, oh, who? And the woman says, lots of angry people here in the fringe. Some people's anger makes them want to kill everyone they perceive as an enemy. And she's like, oh, okay, well, thanks for your help, you ray of sunshine. Uh, My name's Triss. And she's like, my name's Amy. And Amy's like, so what's your deal? And she says, well, I'm actually from uh, Chicago. And Amy goes, oh my God. Oh, so the city's been disbanded. And Triss says, no, not yet. And she goes, oh, that's unfortunate. And Triss is like, whoa, you live in a shithole. Don't come for my town. She gets all Chicago pride. And she says, unfortunate. Um, That's my home you're talking about, you know. What? Since when is she? (sighs) She's actually taking offense. Even though she ran away from that city, she couldn't wait to get out of there. Now she's like, that's my home. Please don't knock it. Even though people in there are being experimented against their free will and they have been lied to about their existence. That's my home. And Amy says, well, bitch, your home is perpetuating the belief that genetically damaged people need to be fixed, that they're damaged, period, which we are not. So yes, it's unfortunate that the experiments still exist and I won't apologize for saying so. Okay, I'm loving this Amy. I'm team Amy. Can she be the lead character of this book? Like go off, sis. And Triss is like, huh, I never really thought of Chicago's existence being harmful to the people outside of it. You're learning, Triss, you're learning. And so Amy's like, okay, well, you should probably get going. Um, they're probably in one of the meeting areas just Northwest of here. So she's like, okay. So then she just leaves. Okay, so blink and you'll miss it for Amy. That's a wrap on Amy. Hopefully she pops up again because she was the most bloody reasonable character we've ever met. Instead, she gets one page and one and done. 
can she recur a bit later on? That would be nice. So then she's walking and she sees a boy with a gun pointed at George. And there's a small group surrounding them. And George had been carrying surveillance equipment, but now everyone's destroying it with shoes and rocks and hammers. Which confuses me, because like, if you've got hammers on hand, why are you trying to destroy the equipment with shoes? Just pass around the hammer, you know, take turns with the hammer. Well, it says hammers, so there's multiple hammers, so I don't know why we're outsourcing the job to a shoe. Anyway, they're destroying the equipment with whatever they can, whatever tools they come across. And because they're also distracted, using their shoes to break this equipment, they don't see Tris there. And George sees her, and she puts her fingers to her lips, being like, don't give it away, they don't know I'm here. So this boy with the gun being pointed at George, he's like, tell me where you're taking our people. And George is like, we haven't taken your people. We're just scientists, we're not soldiers. And he's like, yeah, right, you're wearing a bulletproof vest. And well, it is evidence that, that you might be a soldier. Uh, that, that boy clocked the vest, like, I'm, I'm sorry. How are you gonna explain your way out of that one? But then Triss takes off her invisibility cloak and she's like, hey, kid with the gun, let him go. I've got you in my sights. Leave now and I'll let you go. And the boy's like, well, I'll just shoot him. And she's like, well, then I'll shoot you. She says, we're with the government, but we aren't soldiers. Like, that's important. These kids don't care. They're from the fringe. They don't give a shit who you are. And then Amar emerges from the courtyard behind George. So I don't know where he was hiding. <laughs> I bet he was in a bush just watching this happen, just getting ready for George to die. And then Tris came along and he was like, oh, I, I, I should be helpful, I guess. Anyway, so with Amar's entrance, everyone scatters. The boy with the gun dives and runs off. So then it's just George, Amar, and Tris. And then Amar wraps his arms around George and George thumps his back with a fist. Okay, happy pride. And Amar says, still don't think genetic damage is to blame for any of these troubles. And she's like, well, no, not really. That, that's not proof of anything. And she says, no, I don't. <laughs> and then she tells us, I have better people to blame. And then we have a little paragraph break. And then we pick up and we're back in the truck. And Jack and Violet are setting up a surveillance camera at the truck. I don't know who Jack and Violet are. They, they must've been with them. And they're like, where have you guys been? And George says, we were attacked, we gotta go. And Violet's like, okay, well, let's go then. <laughs> this dialogue is just so captivating. So then Amar says to Triss, it's the abnegation in you that makes you hate that place, I can tell. And she's like, well, yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to be in abnegation to hate that place, but sure. And he says, yeah, I noticed it with four too. Abnegation produces deeply serious people. He says, I've noticed that when people switch to Dauntless, it creates some of the same types. What? Erudite who switch to Dauntless tend to turn cruel and brutal. Candor who switch to Dauntless tend to become boisterous, fight-picking adrenaline junkies. And Abnegation who switch to Dauntless become soldiers or revolutionaries. Okay, so we don't just have the factions anymore. We've now got Dauntless Cross Candors and they've got their own little personality types, like it's a horoscope. We've got like a, a, a Dauntless Abnegation Rising or someone who's an Amity in the sheets, a Dauntless in the streets. Uh, it can be broken down even further. So that's, that's great fun. And then Amar says, if Four wasn't so plagued with self-doubt, he would be one hell of a leader. I've always thought that. And Tris says, I think you're right. It's when he's a follower that he gets himself into trouble like with Nita or Evelyn. And then Triss says to herself, what about you? I ask myself, you wanted to make him a follower too. And, and then she responds. <laughs> she says, no, I didn't. I tell myself, 
but I'm not sure I believe it. What, what's going on here? She's just had a full Gollum Smeagol conversation in her own mind. Uh, what about you, I ask myself. No, I didn't, I tell myself. She's fighting with herself like Gollum. I, uh. And then Triss says, oh, so you and Tobias were good friends, huh? And Amar says, well, is anyone good friends with him? But yeah, I mean, I did give him his nickname. Oh, brother, I wouldn't be bragging about that guy. He says, I watched him face his fears and I saw how troubled he was and I figured he could use a new life. So I started calling him Four. Why? You could have called him anything. Why'd you have to call him Four? Could have called him like Champ, Legend, Toby even is a better nickname than Tobias. Ah, so we've got Amar to blame. And then Amar says, but no, I wouldn't say we were good friends. Not as good as I wanted to be. And then he leans his head back against the wall and closes his eyes and a small smile curls his lips. And so then Triss is like, oh, this guy's gay. Her gaydar went ping, 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 ping. And instead of like playing it subtle, uh, she goes, oh, did you like him? Just like full on outing Amar. And Amar's like, no, what, what, why would you ask that? And she goes, well, it's just the way you talk about him, you big mo. And <laughs> he says, I don't like him anymore, if that's what you're really asking. But yes, at one time I did. And it was clear that he did not return that particular sentiment. So I backed off. <gasps> I'd prefer it if you didn't say anything. <gasps> He's gay. We finally got a gay character. Oh, there might've been other gay characters, but wow, I, I clocked it. You know, I, I always pick up on my gaze in these books. They call to me like a siren song. They call to me and I pick up on it. And so does Tris apparently. And now, so now she's going to be a bit of a fag hag. And she's like, oh, don't worry. I won't say anything to Tobias. Of course I won't. And he says, no, don't say anything to anyone, bitch. He says, and I'm not just talking about with Tobias. Like, just don't, don't tell anybody. Even though they're in like a truck with Jack and Violet and George. But then he looks at George at the back of George's head and is like, "Uh uh-huh. And she raises an eyebrow and she goes, oh. She says, I'm not surprised he and George were drawn to each other. They're both divergent who had to fake their own deaths to survive. I mean- that is pretty similar. I wonder how George and Amar started dating. Do you think they were just like on Grindr and just like trading age, sex, location, and then like trauma? Just been like, oh, actually I am. Um, oh, I was in Dauntless, but I had to fake my own death because I'm divergent. Oh my God, me too. And like, what? Get out. Should we, should we start banging? And then they're like, yeah, let's start banging. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Anyway, so they're both banging. And then Amar says, you have to understand, the Bureau is obsessed with procreation. Ugh with passing on genes. Well, that, yeah, that's obvious. And George and I are both GPs. So any entanglement that can't produce a stronger genetic code is not encouraged. Ah, so that's sad. George and Amar can't be open together, but I do hope they're trying to procreate. I do hope they just keep at it, as they say. And Tris is like, I'm an ally. I got you, happy pride. She says, you don't have to worry about me. I'm not obsessed with producing strong genes. And he's like, thanks, sis. And he's like, I think you're good for four, hunty. And she's like, oh, really? And he's like, yes, queen. I can see what you bring out in him. You don't know this because you've never experienced it. But four without you is a much different person. He's obsessive, explosive, insecure. And she goes, obsessive? <laughs> I, love, I love the insinuation there that she was like, yeah, explosive and insecure, of course. But obsessive? And he's like, Yes, queen, what else do you call someone who repeatedly goes through his own fear landscape? And she's like, I don't know, determined, brave. And he was like, no, babes. He says, most dauntless would rather leap into the chasm than keep going through their fear landscapes. There's bravery and then there's masochism. And the line got a little hazy with him. And she's like, I know that line very well. And he's like, yes, bitch, go off. And then they giggle and kiki. And Amar says, anyway, all I'm saying is, Anytime you mash two different people against each other, you'll get problems. But I can see that what you guys have is worthwhile. And she's like, mash people together, uh, yuck, you big mo. And he's like, oh, stop it, bitch. And that's the end of that chapter. So, oh my God, I'm so relieved that we've got a gay, a gay character. We've got, you know what? Representation matters. Veronica Roth said gay rights. Oh, I'm loving this. Watch Amar die in like three chapters. <laughs> If Amar or George die for real this time and not fake their own deaths, I'm going to be so pissed. Okay, so chapter 35 is a Tobias POV. And he's still stalking the cameras in the security room that he still has access to for some reason. And you can tell that all of the bureau people are like, oh God, he's back. We're just trying to do our jobs monitoring the experiment. Like, can you back off? But he's trying to track what his parents are up to. Evelyn's in a huddle with her leadership team and he can't hear it. He's turned up the volume, but all he can hear is muttering. And then he's looking everywhere for Marcus and Joanna to see what they're up to because they've teamed up to lead the Allegiant who are staging an uprising against the factionless. So he's searching for them on all the camera banks, but he can't find them. And then Kara walks in. I guess this is just the meeting place for everyone to just pop by. Everyone's doing a pop into the surveillance room. 
And she's like, oh, you've been coming here a lot for, are you afraid of the rest of the compound or something? And he's like, uh, no, I just, my, my parents are there. I, I just want to watch them. Like, is that insane? And she goes, uh, the parents that you hate? Like, yeah, that's kind of weird. She says, I can see why you would want to spend every waking hour staring at people you want nothing to do with. It makes perfect sense. Like, okay, tone down the sarcasm, sarcastic Sally. Like, what, what are you coming at him for? Can you relax? And he's like, uh, they're dangerous. I like, and they're not just my parents. They're also the big faction leader and the guy who's now running the rebellion against the faction leader. Like they're kind of main characters at this point, Kara. They're kind of important to the plot, Kara. And Kara's like, well, what are you going to do if you see them doing something on the TV anyway? Send up a smoke signal. Like, what are you doing? Everything you're doing is futile. Your life is pointless for, like, she's really laying into him. And then she's like, fine, fine. I'm just trying to remind you that you aren't in their world anymore. You're in this one. That's all. It's the same world, Kara. The Chicago experiment is the extension of the Bureau compound. They're not completely separate. And also, I thought you were the head of the Allegiant anyway. Weren't you the one staging the Allegiant rebellion? And now she's like, oh, don't give a toss. So then he's like, okay, okay. But then he catches out of the corner of his eye, like on one of the screens, there's a bunch of people surrounding a building he doesn't recognize and their movements are synchronized and Kara clocks it. And she's like, oh, the Allegiant are attacking. She says with all the enthusiasm she can muster. And Tobias is like, oh my God, everybody gather around, gather around. They're attacking, get onto camera 24. And all the bureau workers are like, "Ugh, yes, boss. And Tobias is like, Kara, get the others. They all need to see this. And she's like, "Ugh, yes, boss. So he's just there riveted to the screen, but it's all too blurry to even know what's going on. Kara comes back with a few of the others, like Peter and Caleb and all that. And Four tells them the Allegiant have formed an army. There are people from every faction in it, even Amity and Erudite. And he's like, I've been watching it quite a bit lately. If you've got any questions, just let me know. And Caleb's like, whoa, even the Erudite are on the team? And they're like, yeah, everyone's uniting against the factionless. That's what we just fucking said. And Christina goes, wait, 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 even the Amity are in the army? And they're like, yes. Every faction has united against the factionless. That's what we just said. And Force says, yeah, the Amity, they're not really participating in the violence, but they are participating in the effort. Okay, well, where do we draw the line, Amity? Like, you're either involved in the rebellion or you're not. None of this, like, oh, we support it, but we don't support it, bullcrap. Like, come on. So then one of the bureau workers, as if this has been like her soap opera that she's just been watching. She's like, oh, the Allegiant raided the first weapon storehouse a few days ago, a few episodes ago. This is their second. That's where they got those weapons. After the first raid, Evelyn had most of the weapons relocated, but this storehouse didn't make it in time. So she's just filling everyone in doing a community service. And Four's like, of course, my father knew what Evelyn knew, that the power to make people fear you is the only power you need. Weapons will do that for him. And Caleb's like, well, what are the, what's their goal? What are they doing? And Kara says, well, the Allegiant are motivated by the desire to return to our original purpose in the city. They're building up to an attack on the factionless stronghold. That's what Joanna and I discussed before I left. We did not discuss allying with your father, Tobias, but I suppose she's capable of making her own decisions. And Tobias is like, oh yeah, I forgot that Kara was the leader of the Allegiant. Like what, how do you forget that? Or even like almost forget that. Will we not be like asking Kara more questions? Like, are we not interested in the person that formed the Allegiant? Then on the TVs, they hear gunfire. Several factionless people are getting shot and falling over. Then Zeke comes into view. 
he's fighting the factionless. And Tobias is like, oh, poor Zeke. He doesn't even know that Uriah is in a coma. And then they get super gagged because they see Joanna carrying a gun. What, 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 what? So then the lady who's been watching this like a soap opera, she references Marcus and Joanna. And she says between them, they have managed to rally most of the loyal faction members to their cause. Surprisingly though, the allegiance still don't outnumber the factionless. They were far more factionless than we ever anticipated. It's difficult to get an accurate population count on a scattered population after all. Okay, then how are you so confident that they don't outnumber the factionless if you don't know the number that they're outnumbering? And I don't know if it is a surprise that there's lots of factionless considering every faction kicks people out of their faction to become factionless when they don't make the initiation requirements. Like Dauntless every year, they're like, only 12 of you will make it through. And then they're like shocked when the eight people that they kicked out of Dauntless become factionless. And they're like, well, where did you all come from? Uh, it's because you're not accepting everybody. And Caleb's like, oh my God, Joanna holding a weapon. Now I've seen it all. And Four narrates, Joanna told me once that if the decisions had been up to her, she would have supported action against Erudite instead of the passivity the rest of her faction advocated. But she was at the mercy of her faction and their fear. Now with the factions disbanded, it seems she has become something other than the mouthpiece of Amity or even the leader of the Allegiant. She became a soldier. I'm still not buying it. Also, he's like, now that the faction are disbanded, she can do whatever she wants, even though she's fighting for the factions to be reinstated. So, okay, how, how do you make that make sense? I don't know. Um, b- but then Four says, makes more sense than you'd think. And Kara nods along. Uh, n- none of it makes sense, Four. So the Allegiant, they take all the guns from that weapons store that they've just overthrown. And the people in the control room, like Kara, Christina, Peter, Caleb, they're just watching their city get closer to total destruction. And that's the end of the chapter. And I just think it's interesting to note that like all of the exciting stuff is happening inside the city when we're not in the city. So she split the POVs for this book, for Triss and Four, but they're both in the same place. So it's just like, oh my God. If, if one of them could have stayed behind and we could have maybe have witnessed all the drama and action happening from their POV with them separated, like that would have been great. But instead, we're getting the city drama funneled through the CCTV footage that Four is watching. Like, how is that interesting? Can we get a firsthand account of this place? Or can we get our main character like out of the compound, back into the city? Like, I don't know. Can we get her somewhere more interesting? Can we get her doing things? But then we go to chapter 36. It's a Triss POV and she's just coming back to the compound from a visit to the fringe. She's tired from gossiping with Amar the whole ride back. She goes to the dorm room looking for Christina and Tobias, but only Peter and Caleb are there. And Peter's got a book on his lap and he's taking notes. I'm still sus on this Peter. I know he was obsessed with maps now, but like, what's he doing with all these books? And he's writing notes. What's he planning? And Caleb is reading their mother's journal and she just ignores that. And she's like, oh, have you guys seen um, four? And Caleb's like, oh, he's in the genealogy room. And she's like, the what? <laughs> so I love that we've been to the genealogy room a few times. We've heard about it a fair bit, but Tris doesn't know anything about it. That must've all been through four's POV. So she's like, the what? There's our family trees on bronze plaques all around a room in this hotel that was in an airport that's been converted to a compound for the Bureau for Genetic Welfare. Like what, what's going on? 
And Caleb's like, yeah, I was in there the other day. I found our parents' names on the wall. So, you know, something to look at if you want to look at. And she's like, oh, great. Um, how's your nose? And he's like, yeah, not great. Says the bruises really bring out my eyes, don't you think? And she's like, haha, yeah. And then he's like, oh, wait, you weren't here. Um, yeah, the Allegiant are rising up against Evelyn, just FYI. And she's like, oh, wow. And then she's like, wow, wait, Joanna's leading the Allegiant. They attacked a storehouse. And he's like, yeah, Joanna was holding a gun. Can you believe? And she's like, oh my God. So they're bonding. The siblings are chatting, which is perhaps progress for them. Good for them. So then she's like, all right, well, that was a nice catch up. I'm going to go check out the genealogy room. So she goes to the genealogy room and Tobias is in there staring at the plaques on the wall and like tracing his fingers along his family tree. And so she's watching him from afar. He doesn't know that she's watching just yet. And she's like, oh, Amar was right. He is a bit obsessive and compulsive. (laughs) She was like, nothing gets past that shady queen, Amar. He's clocked it. He's clocked the tea, hunty. And she's just looking at Tobias and she's thinking, oh, he's desperate. Oh, he's broken. But then she thinks, Caleb told me that our mother said there was evil in everyone. And the first step to loving someone else is to recognize that evil in ourselves so we can forgive them. So how can I hold Tobias's desperation against him? Like I'm better than him. Like I've never let my own brokenness blind me. So with that, she's forgiving Tobias essentially. And so she says to him, oh, hey, Tobias, uh, listen, I thought I was supposed to figure out if I could forgive you or not, but now I'm thinking you didn't do anything to me that I need to forgive. So yeah, all right. Uh, if we stay together, um, I'll have to forgive you over and over again and you'll have to forgive me over and over again. So forgiveness isn't the point. What I really should have been trying to figure out is whether we were still good for each other or not. Oh, so we're going into a full relationship chat. And I wasn't under the impression that they had broken up. They were going through some issues, but they were still very much together, I thought. But now she's like, and you know what, Tobias? I've decided to get back with you. So, okay. Shock to me. And I know she's just said like, oh, I'm going to forgive you just all the time. I still would have maybe asked for an apology from four. Just being like, you know, and you could apologize. Like, I'm just saying, I will forgive you for everything forever and ever. But it'd be nice to hear and I'm sorry. But she doesn't get that. Four's just like, oh, okay, great. We're back together. And then they kiss in the genealogy room. So that conflict's resolved. Wonderful. So they kiss and she says, I fell in love with him but I don't just stay with him by default as there's no one else available to me. I stay with him because I choose to. Every day that I wake up, every day that we fight or lie to each other or disappoint each other, I choose him over and over again and he chooses me. Ah, that's the end of the chapter. And I think that's meant to be super sweet, but (laughs) Tobias didn't say a freaking word. Really don't know if he even said anything, but yes, he chooses you too, Tris. That's a happy ending. Except it's not the ending. We've still got chapters and chapters left. So I I guess we'll pick up next week. Now that the relationship drama that I forgot was still going on has been resolved, let's get to stepping and overthrowing this bureau. I don't care if the Allegiant are overthrowing the factionless, to be quite real with you guys. I care about the bigger fish. Let's take down the whole ass government. Come on. Ah, we'll see what happens. All right, see you next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. 
You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.